kicking off a new series. You can see on our banners there, The Life of David. So with that, I'm going to have you turn to the book of 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. If you you have a device, um, you want to go to the ESV and you can stay with us with that. So this will be about a 12-week series. Take us through um, just about the end of April. As we begin... um, I just want you, I want to state our big goal here for the series um, at the very beginning of it, at the top of it. And what we're going to try to do um, all the way through the series is just connect the dots between the life of David and the life of Jesus. And all through the life of David, we're going to see some really, really um, particular kinds of dots that we can make between the life of God's anointed king um, that then point us to um, uh, and, and it is a reflection of um, the ultimate king um, that was to come years and years later. Of course, that's Christ. Um, but it's good for us to look at David's life in a lot of ways. Um, David's life is, uh, it's, you'll see this, it's aspirational in, in a lot of ways. Uh, he had this humble heart that you see in the way that he um, led the people of Israel, in the way that he sort of like, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, commanded the armies that he was over and the way that he dealt with the people uh, of, uh, of the, uh, the nation of Israel. He, there was a humility with David and there was also kind of a, a heroicness. He had a, he had a heroic heart. He was brave and he was courageous. And, um, and we, we, we see that and we should admire that, right? Because this is somebody that was given over to God to, to fulfill the calling that he had been given as king. So we look at the life of David and we can, we can admire um, the ways in which um, he led as a leader after God's own heart. But, it, but his life is also, and we're going to see this as we go all the way through his life, his life is a cautionary tale in some ways because he had, a, he had a human heart, right? So he's humble, he was heroic, but this dude was also very human. And, and that, that led him to committing just some devastating sins um, in his life that we're gonna, again, see and we're gonna unpack as we go. Um, and one of the interesting things about David as we talk about that, as we talk about this, this sort of this aspirational life of David, you know, he had this humble, heroic heart, but he also had this human heart. Um, but that creates sort of this, this, this interesting tension that we see uh, with David, because God does refer to him, and we're going to see this, as a man after his own heart. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know that anybody else in Scripture besides Jesus was, like, given that title, a man after God's own heart. Like, I wish somebody one day would say that about me, right? That's, that's sort of the aspirational aspect of, of, of who David was. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet, we see David's heart being just anything like God, um, at different times in his life. And so we're, we're going to draw back um, as we go week to week through the series, and we're going we're to say, well, what does that mean exactly? A man who was a man after God's own heart, and yet we see all of these, these failings and these flaws. What, what does it mean exactly? Well, it means that as Christians, we experience tension uh, between those two things, right? We, we experience this tension between our flesh and our spirit. You can be praising God in church one minute, and then... You know, you can leave church, get in your car and just be raging against somebody on the road the next minute, right? You can be, you can be, uh, you know, you can show kindness to somebody, um, you know, uh, in, in, that's in need, you know, for, you know, for a minute. And then you can, 
you know, the next minute withhold that same kindness from someone you feel is unworthy of it, right? We see this, we see this tension between being people whose hearts are drawn into the things of God and drawn into the things of the flesh. We can love a church member really well, right? While at the same time hating another church member in our hearts. How is that possible? How do we do that? So David's life is a lot like our life. David's life really is a, it's a case study for us of the Christian life in a lot of ways. And so going back to what I originally said, connecting the dots between David's life and the life of Christ, the more we point to Jesus uh, in David's life, we can learn from David um, who received the redemption that we can all receive through Jesus, who we're going to say this line probably a lot, Jesus being the true and the better king um, when we think about David as king over Israel. Jesus is the true and the better king. So what we learn from David is that the same mercy that he was given, the same redemption that he was given, the same forgiveness that he was given by God, we receive from Christ, who ultimately is the true and better king. Now, before we get to David, I want to back up a little bit. Uh, We need to chat about Saul, right? Because uh, David was Saul's successor. David was the second king in Israel's history. Saul was Israel's first king. Um, And so um, what we know about Saul, and if if we read the first 15 chapters of of, uh, the book of 1 Samuel, what we see is we, we just see a bunch of stuff going on with Saul, a bunch of problematic things. Um, This was not a man who was characterized as being a man after God's own heart, but his life was actually characterized by a heart that was not in line at all uh, with God's heart. In fact, he he just repeatedly uh, disobeyed the Lord throughout his reign as king. And not only that, but he tried to justify his obedience. Um, In fact, if you go back to 1 Samuel 15, one of the instances of this happening was when the Lord told him uh, to go uh, wage war against uh, the Amalekites. And he said, hey, you need to to, uh, wage war with this nation and you need to, uh, as, as I give you victory in this war, you also need to not take any spoil from the war. I, I want it to be just sort of left flattened, right? I want you to walk away from this nation. I don't want you to enjoy any of the spoils of the war, which a lot of times kings were able to enjoy the spoils of war, right? The, the flocks and um, the animals and the gold and the jewelry, right? So that, that would be something that would be one of the benefits of, of them waging and then winning a war. God was clear with Saul. He said, don't do that. Just let it be. And what Saul did was he won the war with the strength of God, but then he kept some of the spoils. And when Samuel, the prophet, confronts Saul, Saul says, well, I mean, I, I, no, I know. I, I know God said we weren't supposed to keep any of the, the spoils, but we just kept some of them so that we could offer those things as a sacrifice to God. And Samuel basically said that wasn't what he told you to do, right? Um, So Saul just has this history of disobeying the Lord. And then he tries to justify it as well. And this raises a question for us as we dive into today, which is, is God serious about what he says? Does God say what he means and means what he says, right? He does, and he is. He is serious about what he says, but, but we aren't. 
We're not so serious all the time about what God says. We like to pick and choose the things that we think are more important or that, or that we try to reinterpret to make our lives a, a little bit different or a little more comfortable. And what we see here, especially when we look at the life of Saul, is that disobedience is costly. And that move, by the way, would cost Saul his entire kingdom. And Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, the guy who first anointed Saul, he was just grieved by this. So he was grieved by this. He was the one that saw Saul. He anointed Saul. God told him, Saul's our man. And Saul just ended up being just a colossal disappointment. And that brings us to uh, today's passage where we're introduced uh, to David. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 16. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 today. And this is the word of the Lord. It said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Verse four, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And so he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, uh, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Verse 15, and he sent and brought him in and he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. These are our passages today from God's word. So what we're going to do is we want to look from these 13 passage verses, we want to look at three observations. That's what I'm going to do. Make three observations concerning the heart as we look at David's call to be king. And here's the thing that we need to understand about our hearts is that our hearts aren't so driven to the same thing that God's heart is driven to. God has a particular heart that our hearts are hopefully being more conformed to in our sanctification but the big idea that we're going to see in this passage and what we just read is that the heart of God starts in a, in, a, in a bit of a different place than our hearts start in many times, right? And so the first thing we want to look at here is this idea of the heart of man, the heart of man. Um, 
Israel did not have a great run when it came to Saul. They were just not having a good run with this brother. He ended up being somebody, like we said, who consistently disobeyed the Lord. And we'll see in the coming months how he just became uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually unfit for the role of king. He was just on a downward path, a downward spiral. When Samuel visited Saul after the incident with the Amalekites, Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom from you and he's giving it to your neighbor. Of course, his neighbor was David. So Saul is in a place now where um, he is still king, but he knows that um, because of his actions and behavior, um, his, his kingdom and his reign in his kingdom is not going to come to a good end and that God had already anointed and chosen somebody else uh, to succeed him, right? At some point, Saul strays so far from the Lord that he actually consults with a witch to kind of find out what his next move should be as, as king, right? So this is a brother that just keeps declining and, and declining. And what this did was it, it just put the nation of Israel in desperate need of a leader who served the people with a heart of love and a heart of obedience for God. So it's interesting that when God approaches Samuel and says, I got your king, what he says is, is it's because I found a man after my own heart. And by the way, this king just happened to be in Bethlehem, which is again, another one of those, those shadows we see of the, of the ultimate king that's going to arrive many, many years later in the town of Bethlehem. And so that's another one of those moments where we see the life of David crossing over and becoming formed into what comes much later in the life of Christ. But we read that as the sons of Jesse, they go before Samuel's eyes in verse six. And we see that right from the beginning, he is stunned that all of these brothers, right? All of these brothers of David who probably woke up at 4 a.m. every morning to do CrossFit, right? Um, they weren't chosen. They looked great. They looked impressive, right? They were men of stature, especially Eliab. Um, he's described as, as looking very kingly, this man, right? And Samuel goes, it must be him. Look at this guy, right? Samuel's like, surely this is our guy. This is the dude. And we hate to admit it, um, but if we step back, we know that we do this all the time, right? We do this all the time, where we, we look at the exterior and we want the exterior to be the thing that becomes more important and that drives us to decisions instead of the deeper thing, the deeper issue, the deeper area, which is the interior of a person. We expect a person's charisma or their outward appearance to get them where only their character can. And this is what's going on with Samuel right now, right? Is he's looking at these brothers, these impressive dudes that are going before his eyes. And every time the Lord says, it's not the guy. It's not the guy at all, right? But that also reveals something about our heart, right? Because it is in the hearts of men and women to overlook and to undervalue the hearts of men and women. So it is in my heart to overlook your heart and look to something that is more external and something easier and something that actually just feels more impressive to me, right? And so that's what God is driving at with Samuel. He says, man looks at outward appearance. That's the heart of man. It's the heart of men to ignore the heart of man. But this is not the heart of 
of God. And this is what he says as we read um, verse 7, right? He says, man looks in the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So we see that the heart of man, when we see Samuel, wants to look at something external, something on the exterior. The heart of man, what's in your heart, what's in my heart, is to ignore the heart of other men and other women. But that's not what we see when we get to our second point, which is the heart of God, who doesn't merely look on the outward appearance, but looks at the heart. Now listen to this. It's not that Israel's king couldn't have been like tall and well-built, right? Because God is the one who gives those things too. And in fact, when we hear the way David is described in these passages as being ruddy and handsome, I mean, this is somebody who wasn't, you know, who's easy on the eyes, right? So that is not something that we need to condemn, um, but it's not a matter of primary or first importance, right? In fact, when we go back to, to Saul, when, when Samuel first gets a look at Saul in chapter nine, Saul is described as a handsome young man. There was not, listen how he's described. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. What God was pointing out to Samuel was that outward qualities, they, they have to come second to the inward character of a king because character is God's most desired quality in a leader. So when we move to the New Testament and we see these passages like in 1 Timothy 3 or the book of Titus, when Paul is describing the qualifications for pastors and for elders, what we see is we see a list of character qualifications. The only thing that's not a character qualification within those passages is that an elder must just be somebody who's able to teach. Right? They got to be able to. They got. They got to be able to, with clarity, communicate the gospel. Be, they, with clarity, got to be able to communicate God's word. Um, but everything else falls under the realm of of character. The heart of God is that He cares deeply about the hearts of men and the hearts of of women. So it kind of causes us to back up and say, how do we make our decisions? What's the basis that we choose people and uh, places and make decisions? Um, have you ever chosen something or someone based on appearance and it ends up just backfiring you on you in the end, right? I mean, we do this all the time, right? We do this in all these big categories, right? You know, politics is a big cat. Don't freak out when I say that, but politics is a big category that we do that with, right? We stand back and we go, well, they're saying the right things. Um, you know, they have the appearance of somebody who's going to lead well. And then sometimes character things rise to the surface and we go, well, what are we, you know, you know is, is this our job to, to care so deeply about the character of leaders? And by the way, you know, what about my character? Do I get to judge their character? You know, do, am, am I just ignoring my character and judging somebody else's character? But we're just asking them to lead us, right? We're not asking them to be the most moral people in the world. Well, that's not how God sees it, right? We make decisions based on exteriors. God says, the problem is that I make decisions based on interiors, right? We do it with celebrities. He's such a great actor. She's such a great actress. I just, I love what they do when it comes to this, to the music they make, to, um, you know, the films they make. And then we end up seeing them weeks, months, years later, and they've gotten involved in all kinds of things that show that however great of an artist they are, 
their character doesn't match their gifting, right? We do it in relationships, right? And they seem like a great person. I love the things that they love. Man, we have so much commonality when it comes to, you know, um, you know the things that we enjoy and our personalities. And there's, there's all that. Man, we sync up when it comes to all these things. And then it turns out later that their character um, wasn't in line. It didn't match um, all those things that we enjoyed about their, their personalities, right? We do this all the time. We, we choose based on exteriors rather than interiors. And so we always got to ask ourselves, do the desires of our heart match what the heart of God desires? Are you looking at what God looks at? Are we seeing what God sees? Are we waiting to see what God already sees? Are we watching those things? Is it, is it part of the wisdom of us being part of the church that God is building when we are looking at our leaders or we are looking at our relationships um, for us to stand back and go, well, hold on. I, I, I need to test some things. I need to make sure that I'm not merely looking at something in a person, about a person that is not being matched by the character of a person because it gets us in a whole heap of trouble if we flip the narrative, right? It doesn't end up going good for us. So we see some interesting things when we look at the heart of man with Samuel. We see some interesting things when we look at the heart of God who is saying, go deeper, look deeper, look at the things that I look at. And then thirdly, we see the heart of God's king. So we see the heart of man, the heart of God, and the heart of God's king. God wanted a man with a shepherd's heart. And so what's interesting about this is that he picks a literal shepherd, a guy named David. And this causes us to ask the question, uh, what does God desire for his people? What is one of the singular qualities that God desires for the leaders that he chooses to lead his people? Well, it's pretty clear here that he desires a leader with a, a shepherd's heart, right? He desires a leader that is going to understand what it means and is going to devote his life to caring for the people that God has placed under his care. Now, David was a man after God's own heart and he certainly did not do that perfectly. Just like when God calls pastors um, to be shepherds over a congregation, you know, they don't, they don't do these things perfectly. It's like, you guys are like, Ronnie, you're sure wanting to qualify this right now, aren't you? I am, I am. Um, but, but that's the heart behind what God is calling uh, when he calls a leader to lead uh, his people. So what are some of the qualities that come, let's ask this question, from people who have a shepherd's heart that we see here, that we see sort of the, the inkling of here and that we'll see sort of fleshed out as we go through David's life in David. Well, the first thing is uh, one of the qualities that come from people with a shepherd's heart is that they're servants. They're servant leaders. So a shepherd leader is a servant leader. And what that means is that they think of others before they think of themselves. They look not only to their interests, but to the interests of others. Now, this was David. You saw this quality in David. We will see this as we see him kind of you know, go through life as God prepares him to take over the throne. Um, but this is what the Lord desires for all of his people, right? Not, not just for his leaders, um, but certainly for his leaders. Paul says in Romans 15 that, 
Christ became a servant. So when we talk about a a shepherd-like leader who is a servant leader, we're talking about somebody who is embodying the character of Christ, whose mission, whose aim, whose goal it is to not be served, but to serve. The second thing, and we read this about uh, David um, in, uh, in verse 13, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Um, a shepherd's heart needs to be a spirit-led heart. So the spirit of God came upon David and from that moment forward, his life changed in such a way that instead of just being a shepherd and being about the things that he was doing, now he was, his mind and his heart was being repositioned to commit himself to the things of God. And that's what a spirit-led leader, a spirit-led person is doing. They seek to live unto the Lord. They seek to obey God's commands. They seek to consider Christ in all things. They They seek to grow in wisdom with God and man like we read about Jesus. Luke 4 tells us Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. So he was somebody that constantly was considering the things of God. He was somebody that was walking and keeping in step with the spirit of God, which means what that means for us, whether you're a leader or not, is that you're somebody who is constantly, whose mind is seeking what it is that the Lord desires in your life. And then you're prayerfully and dependently and interdependently living that out, doing your best to live that out. David was spirit led. This is somebody who leads with a shepherd's heart. And the the third thing, um, the third quality that a person has with a shepherd's heart is that they're soft-hearted. They're soft-hearted. They have a a humble posture. Uh, They have a willingness to learn. They're not somebody who is merely seeking control, but their aim is to submit to Christ and to submit to others. Um, They want to grow in meekness, Uh, towards the Lord and towards others. Paul mentions the meekness and gentleness of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10. So all of these qualities that David would embody are the same qualities that when we connect the dots to Christ, we see embodied in perfection, right? And that's why it's so important for us to to connect those dots lest we kind of, what Scott talked about a little bit um, while we were were singing this morning, lest we make the mistake of making David or any biblical character the hero of our story, right? Be a David, be a Daniel. It's like, well, okay, you know, we we can admire um, men and we can admire women who devoted themselves to the Lord and the Lord used in mighty ways. But at the same time, if our goal is just to be like David or dare to be Daniel, right? Well, what happens when you're not? And what happens if that's not God's calling on your life to be like a Daniel, right? What if God doesn't throw you in a den full of lions, right? What if God doesn't raise you up to a position the way he raised David up to a particular position? Like, what if that is not the call on your life? If you go after people who God has raised before you go and, and model yourself after the one that Christ sent, that God sent, who is Jesus Christ, it leads you to a place of exhaustion. It leads you to a place of, of potential disillusionment. It leads you to a place of being focused on the wrong person, right? So that's what's so interesting about when we do a, a series called The Life of David. Well, we're, we're looking at the life of David so that we can better see how the life of Christ fulfilled what David can't fulfill, didn't fulfill, could never fulfill, but pointed to the one 
that could. So we wanna end by asking this question, what in your life looks good on the outside, but not so much on the inside? What in your life is reflective of you focusing and over-focusing on exteriors over interiors? What might that be? Um, I love watermelon so much. I love it so much. Um, I know I'm being so serious about that, but um, when summer comes, and summer feels like a long ways away right now, but when summer comes, I lo- I, one of the reasons why I love it is because I love watermelon. It's, ser- it's, it's seriously like candy for me. I feel like I can eat, as, but I can eat as much of it that I want, right? Um, but picking a watermelon is crazy to me. Um, I feel like you need some kind of secret knowledge when it comes to picking a watermelon. I know you're supposed to pick the ones that have the big green spot on them, and I do that, right? But I would say that one out of every two watermelons I pick, they're, they're not that great, Right? and the level of disappointment I have when I slice into that thing. And it's not a great watermelon, right? They look great on the outside, but the insides are mushy and they're not great. They're overripe, right? Um, There are more important things in your life than watermelons, for sure. But it's to make the point that sometimes we are choosing things merely for the external qualities that they possess. But on the inside, sometimes they're rotting and they're not good for us. What are those things you keep picking based on appearance instead of the heart? What God was saying to Samuel was, you're not going deep enough. Are there things in your life that you don't go deep enough in when you're looking at sort of the outward qualities of them and and you're not going, you're you're, you're not wanting to dip beneath the surface? Part of getting hung up on exteriors over interiors is that it's easier and in the moment it feels safer. It's certainly quicker, right? I mean, if Samuel could have just picked the first son that walked by, I don't know, maybe he could have taken the rest of the afternoon off, right? But they had to go through all the sons. Then they had to go get David and bring him in from the field. And God finally said, here's our guy. God was concerned with the heart of the king. Proverbs 4:23 tells us that from the heart flow the springs of life. So the heart is what needs to be looked after more carefully than anything else. According to Jeremiah 17, it, it's because it's deceitful above all things. He describes the heart as desperately sick. He said, who can even understand it? It causes confusion, right? That's why we need discernment. That's why we got to be careful the way that Samuel waited on God, heard from God before he made the decision. What's interesting is that in David's day, people were still drawn to appearances over character. You know, we kind of look around and we say, oh, that's just so, that's just so uh, reflective of like, you know, moder- the modern age, right? We have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have all these different things that show sort of the exterior of a person's life. And then we make our decisions based on those exteriors. But it was no different back then, right? That's This is something that's just part of the human condition is what we see, right? People were still drawn to appearances over character. That's why Samuel needed the Lord. He needed to see the heart that he couldn't see, and that's us. We need the Lord so that we can see the heart, so we can see the interior that we can't see. How do we see what the Lord sees? How do you do that? How do we see what the Lord sees? Well, this is how. We do it by looking to the Lord 
in all things. You notice that Samuel had an impression about what looked good to him. But at the end of the day, it was the word of the Lord. It was Samuel waiting for the word of the Lord to tell him what he couldn't quite see with his eyes, right? And that certainly applies for so many different areas and issues in our life, doesn't it? That we make these, we make these really fast decisions because we want to get to a place and we're impatient, right? And we see a different thing here with Samuel where there was a process. And sometimes God gives us answers quickly about things that really speak to the interior of something that he desires for us. But sometimes we need to wait. Sometimes we need to watch. Sometimes we need to have wisdom. Not sometimes, we always need to have wisdom, right? And by the way, when we look to the Lord in all things, this is how that we will better abound in love for, for others. This is how we're gonna better go deep with others. This is how we care for others beyond just a superficial level, right? This is how we become curious with others. This is how we take an interest beyond what we can see. It allows us to approach our, our neighbors and our fellow church members with curiosity and with patience and say, hey, I, I, I can't see everything that there is to see about you, but I'm curious and I would love to see what God's doing in, in your life. Here's what's so amazing about Christianity is that Jesus came to earth as a humble king looking past our exterior, our exterior identities. And he looked into our heart instead because this is where we needed our biggest overhaul. So when we think of the grace and the mercy of Jesus, and we think that he was somebody that didn't just come to you and say, looks good, let's go. He said, no, 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 I, I need to come to you and I need to go deeper than you can possibly imagine because I see what lies beneath. And that's why that we benefit from the grace and mercy of Christ, right? The heart of Jesus is to look deep into your heart to look past all the manufactured appearances and all the false identities and offer you what you actually need, which is forgiveness and redemption. And so that's what the life of David can reflect for us as we see how he was chosen as somebody who took the time to look past the exteriors, look into the interiors, and we see that none other than Christ himself did the same thing for us so that we might benefit from the truer and the better king. And so as we celebrate communion this morning, that's what the celebration is about. Do you know that? We're celebrating the true and the better king. We're celebrating the one that came to you and just didn't just come to you, but looked as deep into your soul as anybody can look into your soul and says, the problem is that you need me and I'm going to provide a way for you to have me through my death and my resurrection. David was a, David was a righteous man, but he still needed the righteousness of God in order to be righteous. Just like we need the righteousness of Christ because our interior um, needs help. Our interior needs restoration. 
And what we celebrate when we take the bread, when we eat the bread, when we drink the cup, is we're celebrating restoration. We're celebrating a God who sent his son that didn't just sort of like get close enough but kind of do this, kept his cool distance, but he got as close and as deep into our lives and our souls as is humanly possible so that our interior wouldn't be the thing to keep us away from him for eternity. And so as we celebrate communion, that's what we're celebrating. Jesus told his disciples on the night before his death, do this in remembrance of me. If you are somebody who has not received the grace and mercy of, of Jesus, man, I love that you're here. I love that maybe you're thinking about these things. Maybe you're not thinking of these things. Um, what I want to offer you is the opportunity to come to a place where you've received the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Because people who have received that love, received that forgiveness, received the work that Jesus did on the cross, it is for them to come, take the bread, take the cup symbolically and remember the Lord's death. And so if that isn't you, we'd ask that you just stay seated, but that I wanna lead you in a prayer now so that you might come into a place of reconciliation with Jesus. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you that we get to start today looking into the life of David, your anointed king over Israel. The one from whom uh, we, the line of David we, actually leads us to the line of Christ. All the connections that we're going to be able to make and see between David's faithfulness and David's flaws. And Lord, we see ourselves in David. Um, we see ourselves as people that are very very flawed, but who desire to be faithful. And so, Lord, we thank you to be able to get such a, a just a, just a, such a great visual of a man um, that we don't pattern our lives after, but we, we point our lives um, to Christ after, after getting to see what his life became characterized by. And so God, would you continue to sanctify us and grow us in the ways of Jesus? Don't let us be people who don't use wisdom. Don't, don't let us be people who constantly are drawing from the exteriors of life rather than, rather than the interior things. Um, let us use wisdom. Let us be patient. Let us watch and wait. Lord, the way Samuel did as he was waiting for you to reveal uh, Israel's future king. Lord, we also want just to consider those that, Lord, have never, um, have never uh, received your mercy and the grace that you offer. Um, if anybody is here today that hasn't received that, um, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them through these words today, that you would open up their hearts to pursue Jesus and uh, see that they're sinners in need of your grace and your righteousness, that they would come to you today and this morning and say, I, I am somebody who has lived um, out of the exterior of my life, but inside um, I need redemption. And so Lord, would you, would you draw near to those who need to go before you in repentance and show them your love and your forgiveness so that they can be part of this church family, they can enjoy um, communion with us. And for the rest of us, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to remember your death 
Um, remember the redemption we have. Remember that, um, Lord, you have given us, um, you've provided a way through Jesus Christ so that we might be able to be righteous um, because of his righteousness. And so, Lord, as we drink the cup and we uh, eat the bread, Lord, let us be grateful. Let us rejoice. Lord, let there be a joy in our hearts um, because we are freed from sin and we are slaves to righteousness. So, Lord, would you do that for us now as, as we um, uh, take of these elements, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.